You're listening to the Laugh Factory Podcast Network. For more shows, visit the podcast page at laughfactory.com. It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh. <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to the Afterlife. This is a very interesting, weird edition. This is my first Zoom originated uh, podcast, um, and I'm very excited to have uh, as my guests Jonathan Kesselman and Rob Cutner. Rob, I do not know you. I know Jonathan. Um, Jonathan is in Ireland right now, aren't you, sir? I am. I am. Top of the morning to you. <laughs> now I'll, I'll tell you something. Whenever I'm hanging out with an Irish person and I dated an Irish girl briefly, I couldn't help but do the accent. Oh my god! For like all the time after every after ten minutes, I was just doing the accent for the rest of the night. Do you it's find fun, yourself doing that? Yeah, well, like it's it's a tough accent. My wife's from Northern Ireland, which is a, like it's the most unsexy accent ever. It's like <laughs> yeah, yeah, ginger community. It's like it's a it's a rough one, but uh, yeah, I try, but you, it's not good. And uh, Rob, so hi, nice to meet you, Rob. Uh, hi, nice to meet you too. I'm sorry <laughs> I don't have an accent at all. And you were in uh, you were in L.A. Are you originally from L.A.? No, I'm originally from the East Coast. East Coast. Okay, cool. Um, now, you guys are on the show here partly because uh, we got to talk about this show that you both created and produced and directed and wrote and the whole gamut, right? Yeah, and but, you were going to be on the show, but we'll get into that later too. Yeah, why wasn't Sorry. I on the show? I forget. Oh, because I was going to Saudi Arabia, right? Yeah, yeah. And like you got basically like detained for being a, a sex pervert or something. I don't, I don't know what it was. but we, Suspicion yeah. of homosexuality in, <laughs> in Egypt. You were going yes. to Epstein Island, just admit it. <laughs> yeah, oh, uh, that would have been a nicer detainment, to be honest. Um, I should have said that. I'm just, I just canceled myself. So, um, yeah, so you told me about this project. And, and uh, Rob, you, you wrote for The Daily Show with John Stewart for a while? Yes. How long did you do that? Uh, about seven years. Seven years. Wow. Now, he's, now, after all the Ellen allegations, you start finding out who the really nice people are. And apparently, John Stewart is actually one of the really nice people. Was your experience pretty amazing he is, there? He is, he is very nice. He's very, like, down-to-earth and uh, low-key. I mean, you know, we had some disagreements with him sometimes around, like, you know, labor stuff, unionizing, that sort of thing. But okay. in general, like, we did this very decently. We, we could always, like, have regular conversations. There wasn't really a lot of um, uh, people didn't feel abused or anything like that. People yeah, you could, look at, you could look John Stewart in the eye and have a conversation with him, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Although he's cool. a little short, so I'd have to, like, get down on my, my knees. <laughs> Now, uh, so Gander, yeah, I don't know anything really about it other than, well, let's pretend I don't know anything about it. I know some stuff about it. Um, how did this come about? Was it your, uh, your baby from the start, Jonathan? No, actually, uh, the guy who financed it is a guy named Kieran Lucid out here in Dublin. He's a tech millionaire. Uh, like he's 35 or now, and a couple of years ago, he sold the company for about 3 million euro. And he, it was, he's a tech guy and he decided he wanted to, he was obsessed with like John Oliver and fact-based comedy. He's kind of a do-gooder, very lefty, liberal kind of guy, great guy. And he, for a year, had been trying to get this going and, you know, just, he was meeting all sorts of comics here in Ireland and, you know, for a year they were like writing scripts that were not really scripts or like in word documents. And he just, he just couldn't put it together because he had no background in film or in comedy. And you know, I saw this ad, like he was looking, he was, and I sent my, I sent a resume in and like, I was definitely the right guy for the job because yeah. And, uh, and so it, it wasn't going to initially be like this local sort of Irish thing. And I was like, you know, most of the comics and people I know that are really funny are in the States. So, and so suddenly it went from like, you know, small kind of show to a much bigger, bigger thing. And then <clears throat> when this was happening, he hired me, you know, we were talking about the writers and I said, look, you know, this is not my wheelhouse, but I have a friend who I know just literally got off of Conan O'Brien's show who like his whole bread and butter in, in the past was fact-based comedy he worked for the daily show. And so I called Rob up and Rob was like, that sounds cool. And then suddenly Rob is on and we were off and running. What's interesting about it is that when I think about political comedy, I either think about American comedy or I think about people doing political comedy and then going to jail in other countries. Right. So is, Ireland, a country where there's a lot of political comedy, or is that not really where the comedy is thriving there? 
No, I mean, Ireland is a, a much more progressive country than the U.S. Honestly, like when, when I moved out here, I remember looking like just doing homework and researching and it's there's 10 true democracies in the world and Ireland's one of them. It's like all the Scandinavian countries, Australia, Canada, and Ireland. Um, like just in the last couple of years, they legalized abortion, they legalized gay marriage, things that and this is prior to the U.S. actually doing these things. Oh, they legalized and, abortion prior to the U.S.? No, no, not part of the U.S., but basically that was the one sort of sticking point. It's a Catholic country, but like, yes. um, yeah, but like, so everything, is, everything here is a much more progressive sort of bent where in the U.S. it feels like everything's kind of going backwards. But in terms of comedy here, it's a small country. There's five million people. The, the most popular show in the, in the history of Ireland is a show called Father Ted, which was taking the piss out of like the Catholic church uh, um, and like just, you know, priests in general. But it, they don't do a lot of, I wouldn't say they do a lot of political comedy. It's not that they don't want to. I just don't think there's the base of people and the sort of the politics here is very small. I mean, it's not going to appeal to the rest of the world. So how would you adapt? And I guess this question goes to you too, Rob. How would you, with that in mind, how would you adapt your writing as an American writer for mostly American, although it's a global audience, obviously as well, but how would you adapt that when you're working on something like Gander, which is, I guess is primarily an Irish audience, right? Is there something? It's also a little rough I think we looked like I think we looked at this as an international, maybe you might say Anglo-European, American-European sort of like broad, broad thing. And to answer your question about how you do the politics, what we did was not look at specific politicians or parties, but rather we looked at large trends that have, if not a political, then a sort of social economic uh, quality to them. Uh, a lot of it has to do with corporations and bad corporate behavior or culture that's sort of common to the West that supports uh, some unhealthy trends in our life. So it all has kind of a social commentary feel to it, but it's not specific to any one country's polity, if that makes sense. No, that totally makes sense. Yeah. And so, Jonathan, what was the jumping off point for you when you, you got this thing, you got the job, you were hired as a director, showrunner type no, of thing? Like, so he basically, he said, look, I, I, you know, I want to get this going. You know, I'll give you any title you want. You can hire whoever you want. I just want this to happen. I have money. I want to do this. You said I, I thought that was weird. Well, yeah, and no, and yes, and and he said like, "What tell do you want?" I said, "Showrunner," because I, <laughs> and I, so, but I, I did essentially, look, he's, you know, the show cost not a lot of money, maybe four hundred thousand dollars total for an hour and a half of show. It's like six episodes, oh, wow. but you know, um, it was sort of figuring out how to do a show internationally because we shot in L.A., New York, Dublin, London, how to do that with you know stars. And so it, it was sort of, it, we, as we were kind of talking through kind of, and, and kind of conceiving it, it was like, well, it's going to be heavily green screen. So I can have people like Maz Gibrani or Russell Peters talking to Rachel Dratch in New York or talking to an Irish comic who's popular, you know, um, it was that. And it was also, yeah. So um, what was your question again? I'm drinking wine. Sorry. It's, it's <laughs> no, I, I love it. Well, it's interesting because now, I mean, the, since you made Gander, those six episodes, the world has changed precipitously. Why? What happened? <laughs> We've been editing the whole time. We've been editing for the past six months. Yeah, I no, left yeah, my yeah. house. The, the world's changed? What, what's going on? If you go outside, it might be on fire. I mean, oh. definitely here, it's on fire. It's so funny because right now there's wildfires in California. I mean, this isn't funny, but there's wildfires in California. And it's sort of such an afterthought to everything going on. And the news is really... The least scary thing is that we have to... Uh, yeah, it's apparently the worst wildfires we've had in years and years and years. People are like, oh... It's on fire because of that now, huh? Just another fire in L.A. You know what else is on fire, Bill? It's the comedy of Gander. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good, Rob. Yeah. Speaking, speaking of segues, yeah, so this is this. – I'm really curious about this because it's obviously – I think political co comedy is the hardest for a lot of reasons. First of all, you run the risk of alienating 50% of your audience, right? And then you also uh, have to be topical – without being so topical that it's irrelevant a week later, right? Yeah, and I, I think a lot of that was when we, we set out to do this, we wanted all the, the episodes to be very evergreen. So the, you know, the, the episodes couldn't be based on sort of like Trump's doing this this week. It was going to be food delivery services and how they're fucking you over or like the exploitation of death or like you know, how we're sort of, we've been taught to, uh, uh, to sort of embrace this cult of work, like the Amazon, you know, Google kind of overworking and situation. You have to your office and have no life. That's what we're supposed to think that's a good thing. So, yeah. It, so, the, so the idea was, yeah. Yeah. But the idea was like the shows wouldn't be, um, you know, something that it, it, it's, it's going to last for a while. And, um, 
in terms of political, not, I don't know if it's political, like Kieran, the guy who financed it was very clear about what he wanted. He didn't want to take on social justice issues. Like, you know, like he wanted to take on like sort of more monetary issues, basically how corporations are screwing mm-hmm. you over. And that was interesting because he, he, his mind, he was like, like all the social justice stuff that's already being handled. Like there's other people doing like, you know, but like, you know, Hillary Clinton, for example, or, you know, or, or Boris Johnson, these people are all like, like they're, 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 they're hewing to the, like the good parts of social justice issues, but they're really fucking you on the, when it comes to money and sort of money issues. Like it's, you know, so. Yeah, no, I get that. I mean, it sounds a little bit closer to John Oliver in that way. And I know you mentioned that as a, as a template because his stuff now with his show as well, a lot of his shows have actually resulted in changes being made to different corporate policy or different things. I mean, uh, protests and all sorts of petitions have been started based on his show. So I'm just wondering, like, is that something that you, you thought about? Is there, I guess, are there legal ramifications? Is there, is there any fear based around that if you go out for a corporation? There was a little bit. Yeah, we talked about that. We talked, we talked a lot about that. I mean, uh, the, the big one, I think, then, or at least the most specific, and I'll let Rob kind of jump in, is, is the food delivery service episode because I didn't know this until, like, because every show. Yeah, tell me about Rob, it. No, no idea. Yeah. So how this worked, so like, so before any show ever happened, we would hire, we hire a researcher, like whether like a, a lawyer or professional researcher to dig in on the to- like a, a certain topic. So like food delivery companies, like Just Eat, Deliveroo, uh, Uber Eats. And then Rob would take that and do a pass of the script. And, and um, Rob, I'll, I'll let you talk about food delivery and how, how we're getting screwed because you're more articulate. Well, and less I mean, it's actually, it's like this thing that people like food delivery service and they're kind of like used to it. Like, you know, it's like your smartphone's convenience. And what we found, actually, I think this was the initial topic that kind of kicked us off and Kieran's interest, I think, is that when you look a little closer, they're actually kind of like really putting the squeeze on small restaurants. Mm-hmm. They charge them a lot of onerous fees. They sort of force them to go to business. One app makes them go to biz- into business with them or punish them by putting them lower in their selection charge. There's a lot of ways that they kind of are just sort of go-betweens who are really, um, it's not like Uber where like there's no way you would ever have any way of contacting a free person with a car. Like there's a service there. Say what you want about Uber, I'm not praising them, but you can see that there's sort of a market need. This is a thing where they have made it more convenient, but um, uh, it really takes um, it takes a lot of money out of the wall, out of the pockets of these small. Thirty percent, like so, basically, like every time you order something from a food delivery company, you're costing the restaurant thirty percent of that order, and also like they're not even using like you know like so, uh, these companies don't even have their own drivers. All they do is they make an app. And they aggregate all these things, and then like, and they take thirty percent. And so it's just it's it's extractive capitalism, and it's it's bad. Like it really, it's screwing restaurants over. And nobody, I'm sure, nobody knows about that, because all we know is as consumers is how pissed off we were when they're when they're late. Yeah. And, to, um, and to to your to your original question, like in terms of a call to action, I don't think we have like the um, because we're not uh, of the moment the way John Oliver is. We don't have the uh, ability or even the mandate to. Um, to say, you know, call your congressman, call, you know, call sure. this agency and ask them to not do this thing. We, instead, in terms of your behavior, like we'll say, uh, at the very end, we'll say, why don't you go on the, re- uh, use, use Grubhub, find the restaurant you like, look at their menu if you want to do that, and then call the restaurant and have them deliver it and let them take all the money they've earned for doing it. There's no well, that's, yeah, that's something I wanted to ask about because I feel like a lot of restaurants now, and this is a new change, and maybe this is connected to your show or not, um, you used to be able to call restaurants and say, I'd like to del- call the restaurant directly and deliver it. And now you can't even do that. As a matter right. of fact, a, right. a lot of restaurants, if you call for even takeout, you want to call, I, I want some takeout. You have to call Grubhub or Uber Eats or whatever they have set up with to do it, just to get, just to pick it up. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, it automatically goes to Postmates sometimes if you even just look at the so you're saying that's all part of the same thing. So the restaurants that do that, they're getting squozen. Is that the proper word? <laughs> <laughs> but they're, they're sort of forced into that arrangement with one of the, you have to, they have to choose a company and make that arrangement uh, yeah. with them and be sort of exclusive to them. And you don't have the option, as you said. I mean, some places I imagine they don't want to deliver. That's fine. Uh, but, you know, it's sort of to compete. People are not going to find that, go to the restaurants and order from them at all. If they're not going into the, the, the central apps. Got it. And so right now in the middle of a quarantine, which will, I th- I'm imagining will only magically end when, when Biden becomes president somehow yeah. magically, it'll just be over. <laughs> like, and we should talk about that in a second of it. Cause I've been, I'm here in Ireland following everything there, but it's yeah, we should talk about that in a second. Um, so, but I think, but I noticed that during quarantine, like th- this is when I noticed that you could never call a restaurant directly to get delivery yeah. or takeout service. Well, so it seems like the, 
screwed they've, in. They've moved into the pandemic situation like Amazon has and other places and sort of taken over all the sort of the, uh, the flow between customer and business completely. Like these, they, these sort of centralized companies that, you know, are taking advantage yes. of that. You know, it, it's in their interest to do it. I get it why they do it, but you have to be aware of it. Yeah. Now, let me say this. I, I'm a huge John Oliver fan. And I, actually, I like him now even more during quarantine, John Oliver, because I love the fact that there's no cheap audience or applause. I love the fact that he just has to be shot out of a cannon and just go a million miles an hour and just really articulate his point of view while still getting, you know, laughs from yeah. people, right? And it's a very difficult thing. It's always, I've always been amazed at his ability to kind of spew out a lot of facts with a very strong point of view. And then in the middle of it, there'll be a joke. And I've always, and as a comic, when you want to tell stories, it's always a big question. Like, how do you tell a story and get laughs? Like if I want to tell my Egypt story on stage about being detained in Egypt for a suspicion of homosexuality, how do I tell that story in a cogent way and get my laugh every 30 seconds? So I guess this goes to you, Rob, is like as a writer, is there something, is there like a technique you use? Or is there something that you just kind of have to, do you write sometimes the story and go, okay, I need a joke here. Uh, I need a joke here. Do you use metaphor? Like, what's the thing? When I was at the Daily Show, that was the that was my approach generally because in the Daily Show you have to sort of basically write literal straight news headlines. Yeah, and then they have to have humor at the end of them, just like you said. And you know, obviously John Oliver, you know, comes out of and his head writer and people come out of that environment as well. So we would write. I would write the news story out and then find the joke sort of in it and um, work that back in. The difference with Dander, I think, and I think what, where it separates from John Oliver a little bit is that we're aiming for a different audience, not just in terms of partisanship. Uh, we feel like the John Oliver, the Hassan Minaj, the Sandys of the world are, are, are kind of aimed at people who are already very engaged, pretty engaged and pretty informed. Yeah. Relatively. And what our aim, and so basically that's why they can be so sort of dense on facts and the humor kind of comes right out of things that you already know if you're following the news to some extent. Yeah. And even the tough stuff, John Oliver, is for people who are interested enough to really engage on the level. They know that he's very detailed, in fact, and, and dense. What we did instead was we're trying to reach out to people who aren't paying attention and grab their attention. And so what we do is we take slightly simpler storylines, I would say, to some extent, but slightly simpler topics that once you start hearing about it, you kind of get right, right away. And what we do is we use kind of really more, I would say, more outrageous uh, sketches, animations, uh, parodies, and we kind of leaned into that quite a bit more. And, and honestly, a lot of a lot of bit, a lot of R-rated humor uh, to uh, really kind of raunchy to kind of make a big noise. And the idea yeah, like, that you'll be watching it and you'll be like, "This is kind of like this is kind of raunchy and crazy," and it's kind of all these visuals are kind of crazy and stuck in my head. And oh, I guess I learned something along the way when I wasn't planning to. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that idea. Now, was that the idea? Was that an idea that evolved when you were making it? Or was that something from the beginning? I, I think it was from the beginning. Yeah. I think we just decided, like, how are we going to zag where they zig? Like, why are we not going to just be another, another show like that? And the other way that, you know, John can speak to as well is just that we don't have one host. You know, I've been in late nights so long, and there's always this huge, stupid discussion. Every time there's a new show loses its host and they have to find someone else, like, oh, why don't we have all these great people? No, let's end up with another white guy named James or Jimmy. Which is <laughs> yeah. really well, yeah, and, and, as Kieran, the guy who finds he's like, I, he's like, I don't want a key man dependency. I don't want my show to be dependent on, like if we give it to Bill Dawes, suddenly he becomes a massive thing. Then Bill, like it becomes the Bill Dawes show. Like I lose my show. He's like, I'd rather, I want it to be like, I want the format to be the star of the show. And that was interesting to me because we wanted to bring like a diversity of perspectives to it. So we have like a whole rotating cast of all these people. I don't know how many people is it total, John? Would you say it? God, we have a lot. So we have, we have comics. We have we have a bunch of famous Irish comics, American comics, and Canadian comics. We have people like Russell Peters, Rachel Dratch, Lewis Black, uh, Jay Moore. Who you 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 connected us to, by the way. Thank you very yeah. much, uh, uh, Natalie Walker. It's his birthday. It's Jay Moore's birthday day, by the way. Oh, really? By out. the way. By, by the way, he's a good, like, he was, he, first of all, he's a brilliant fucking actor, but a great guy. Like, and I, you, you, I didn't know the guy except through you, and what a, what a, what a pleasure that was. He was, a, a real, a real quick guy. story about Jay, real quick. Um, so I've, you know, I've worked with them, we're friends, I, and I go on the road with them a lot. And one time I was in uh, Levity Live, this is unconnected, obviously, anything, but, and it was a whole pantheon of, of comics from the 80s, 90s, 2000s. And I was going over, I was like, oh, Sarah Silverman, Tim Allen, uh, uh, this dude from the 90s, he had a sitcom. Oh, George something. And I would kind of go, and I got like maybe 80% of them. And it took me about three minutes. Yeah. And I was waiting there. And then Jay comes in and I go, he's walking into Levity on his way to the green room. I go, 
hey, Jay, you know who these comics, you know all these comics? And he literally went, he named every single comic without missing a beat on his way to the green room. It took him 20 seconds. I'm like, this guy's brain fires at a level oh, that man. I can only dream of. You know what I mean? And, he, and he's like, honestly, like he, he's, he's a legend and like, it's like Hollywood's fucked up. It's hot, cold, but he was, he's massive and he should be more massive and he's fucking brilliant. So like, yeah, and that's yeah. me. Just well, there's, there's, you know, there's Jay Moore love. People. Yeah, Jay Moore's great. But there's a lot of people who also don't really care about that because Jay, you know, he did Jerry Maguire early on in SNL yeah. and he tasted it and he was like, nah, I don't know. I don't think he really cares about it. He just loves that, like Right now, he's an assistant principal at his high school and he's coaching uh, wrestling. He wrestling. Yeah, he told me that. And I was like, you're fucking cool. Like, he's very, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I'll, so I'm on springboard for that, I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, the, was the pilot episode about food delivery services? Did you have a proof of concept well, there was that you no, had to shoot first? S- sort of, no. So, like, Kieran, I'll keep referencing him. He wanted a proof of concept, but then, like, we were kind of doing it. He's like, no, we should just go. And so, yeah. even before we started editing, he just kind of greenlit Rob to write more. And then, so, suddenly, Rob, and it was very intense here for me, at least. But, like, we were shooting, writing, editing, and, like, it was all happening. I mean, like, and, it, and the, the interesting thing was, here in Dublin, I, I pushed all the sketches of Dublin because I could control it more and also... I have a lot of money, and so I could actually. I was teaching part time at Griffith College, a school out here, and so I got a bunch of my star pupils to be like ancillary crew. I'd hire a, D, a DP, it was a, 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 another professional, and then a bunch of students, and it worked. Like, you know, I was trained up all these kids to, and so we could make it, yeah. So it was, so uh, you could basically make it for free because you got like sort of. Slave labor yeah, it was, is what you're saying. No, it, no, slave labor, but they were dying to do it because it's a win-win. Like they're getting experience and learning. Of course. Yeah. And also, and also, there's no unions here. No, but it, no, but it was. Uh, <laughs> I had to make it work. It was my job to make it work, and it was. You know, we didn't. You know, and you know, but it was great because we we got a lot of really great people involved in it, and that was exciting. And yeah, I mean, I'm no, proud John, of it. John is a genius because he said it cost about four hundred thousand. It looks like it cost. It looks like it cost four million. Like it. Looks oh, really? So and and you know, uh, uh, my wife. Thank you. John, uh, uh, has been in TV and worked on like 12 different shows and she was, and she's a very tough critic. She looked at it and she's like, wow, this looks so, this looks like so top notch quality. Like, I can't believe this is that indie show you guys were working on all this time. Yeah. Oh, wow. you know, and and I, I will say, Bill, it doesn't, doesn't hurt that I slept with his wife, Cheryl. Like, it's just like, it's a thing. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like, it hurts a little John. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. No, but like, it, it was a lot of work for, for all of us and it, it's, it, it's, it's, the show is really good. I'm really proud of it. So. And you yeah. did, so you did six episodes and how, how, many, how much time did it take? It was a year of work, basically. For a year of work and that includes editing and everything else and... Everything. Those. I mean, it was just basically, it was, every, it was essentially, yeah, we topped the body. It's, it's, it's a feature film. It's an hour and a half worth of stuff that's done at a professional level. I mean, but in a just way, like, with, like, yeah. unlike, unlike any other sort of uh, late night show or strip show, like who has, they have a studio and they have a host, like we said. And they go into the studio and they fil- they put some elements together like videos and graphics and that sort of thing and even sketches or whatever. And they have a script, but they all go into one place and they make the same thing and they have a pipeline already there. We basically built each episode was its own show. You know, I mean, we followed some conventions to tell the story. We had certain you know uh, narrative choices we made that were consistent and the voice is consistent, but it was like making six different shows that were kind of like with different hosts and a different environment and that sort of thing. And, yeah. and, and all these shows too. Like, I mean, for example, I filmed Jay's episode the same time I filmed the uh, same day I filmed uh, uh, Russell Peters episode. They're completely different episodes. So it was like keeping track as I'm shooting L- again, LA, New York, Dublin, uh, 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 London, like, and just, just, you know, I, yeah, it was, it was, it was intense. It was cool. But like, it sounds it, like a completely unique show and a completely unique experience and i'm surprised you guys are still friends number one i i gotta tell you like i i've worked lots of people and robin robin i've done a bunch of stuff before this and uh like i love working with this guy like it's been you know like uh he, there's no ego he's brilliant like and it's just always fun like he's my friend and it's and it's like i met him Years and years ago, we never we hadn't worked together until we did uh, that thing for Funnier Die, right? Uh, Realistic yeah. Black Mirror. But I'm glad I'm glad I did that. I'm glad we did that because it's like it's been nothing but a pleasure. Yeah, and we we're just, actually gonna. Yeah, go ahead. We should, we should, we kind of share a brain. Like honestly, we just toss things back and forth to each other, and just like we just know the other person will come up with. We can't think of the good thing; the other person will come up with it. Oh, that's great! I always hear that about Matt and Trey. You know, South Park. Those are those are the two geniuses I always kind of look They're at. Amazing. Yeah. Um, now, what I have a couple questions. First of all, 
when you have this guy footing the bill, this guy, Karen, who you didn't really know before, obviously, you just responded yeah. to an ad on, I guess it was back pages of Craigslist, right? Yeah, no, no, it was... <laughs> it was the the, the Egypt uh, uh, sex pervert. Uh, uh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Journal, yeah. Um, yeah. So, and he's say here's here's money, ba boom. Uh, now I've done. I haven't had this experience with TV, but I've been in. Uh, I've done Broadway shows. I did a Broadway show that was produced by the NFL, and I did a Broadway show produced by Major League Baseball. And both times, wait, 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 hold on, stop. A Broadway show produced by the NFL and by Major League. <laughs> like what? Wait, sorry, there are two different sorry. shows. One, and there, this, this is Cats, right? Huh? So one show was called Lombardi. It was about Vince Lombardi. It was sort of like the birth of the Super Bowl in the NFL, and um, it was based on a book. Uh, God damn, I, I'm so bad that I don't remember the name of the book. But about Vince Lombardi, and it was, it was an amazing book. I think it won like. A fucking Pulitzer or some shit. Anyway, so uh, the NFL, my character, because all I play is is drunk Southern womanizers. That's like the only roles I get fucking nowadays, it seems. A guy named Paul Horning paid for the Packers, and he got kicked out of the NFL for gambling. And they, the, it was in the play, and the NFL said, you can't have that. And the writer, David Marinus, who wrote the book, was furious and became the whole thing. And then when I played Mickey Mantle in the Major League Baseball produced play called Bronx Bombers, you know, he has a joke where he goes, you know, uh, hey, guys, I led, the league in, I led the league in STDs four years in a row. They're like, Mickey, I go, my wife came in second. And it was a great line because it was something that Mickey actually said, saying the phrase, I led the league in was a very much of a baseball phrase. And Major League Baseball said, we can't have it in. And I, it was my favorite line. So I guess my question is, with that in mind, when you have a guy who is not so politically affiliated or not a social justice warrior, and you have to navigate yeah, that was, sensibilities, I mean, that must be something you had to weigh. It, I'm going to... I'm going to let Rob take this one because it was, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, and I love Kieran, it, but there were, there were some challenges with it. Cause he's, he, again, he doesn't come from entertainment. He doesn't come from media. He doesn't come from film comedy. And so initially it was like, he questioned everything. Like, and so I, I had to build a studio because like, he, you know, so I, we bought, I bought the cameras and I, I put up the green screen and I bought all the lights and he was like, but everything is why, why? Cause he's a tech guy. He's like, mm-hmm. why, why do we need three lenses? And I'm like, so, well, why, why? And I was like, so then I have to sit there and split and, that was for the entire process, even through Rob's process. And I'll let Rob kind of continue because I don't want to. Um, you know, I, you work more intensely, so I don't know. I didn't see as much of that. I, I've worked with a lot of people where, like, there's heavy hands and there's lighter hands in terms of at the wheel. And uh, I think for the most part, he, he pretty much did not have a very heavy hand. I think he just always, like, would just give his take on stuff. A I lot of it that. was really helpful. It was like, I want more facts and I want the story told more clearly, which is a good note. That's always a good instinct. I mean, there was one example where, like, the only thing I can think of, and I think this is more of a personal thing. We have I, I remember, I remember, I remember this. Go ahead, yeah. Modern romance. Yeah, we have a yeah. lot of modern romance where it's about like the whole like impersonality of modern dating and online dating, and and also the kind of like crass culture, the way that we treat it like a competitive sport, like dating and romance, and people are not as kind to each other. And and we kind of went in it, we went into it with a very like I would say a sort of feminine point of view, more female point of view in terms of like dudes, don't be so creepy, don't be too, yeah. and. You know, Kieran, who's, I think he's single and he's dating and stuff like that, he kind of brought in a perspective. He said sometimes, like, guys are trying their best, but they're, they're lacking confidence and they get awkward and it comes off the wrong way. And let's include that point of view as well. And we did, and I think the episode was stronger for it, honestly. No, but I, I do also remember the time uh, when, like, he was like, I, I want to have cutaways that are only 30 seconds long. It's just stuff, like, stuff that is not actually, actually, it, it's, you can't even... It doesn't make any sense. It's like there's like, seen too much of this before we should switch to something else, which, you know, honestly, like executives who work in TV and stuff would say things like that or market research. Yeah. Say, we focus grouped it and people dropped off after 30 seconds. So we have to have something new happen every 30 seconds. So I lose a little bit. Of, I mean, that's just what the sort of bean counting that happens across the board, I think. Yeah. 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 But no, but he, he was a joy. Like he, he said to me, this was his quote, was it? He's like, uh, I'm like a Russian oligarch, you know, who's buying a soccer team. I don't know anything about film or comedy. I'm going to hire you. You can hire whoever you want. And, and then, yeah. And for the most part, he was fuck up after the first season. I'll, I'll fire you and yeah. get something else. Like every Sunday. Right. Oh, right. Exactly. 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 Now, no, but this, it, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, I was going to say it. No, you go. You know, you, you, you go. Out. You, you go. You're good. You. So you, ha- you, you have the, the first season is out now, right? Mm-hmm. It's out on Tubi. Uh, Tubi. It's out on Tubi, Tubi. Which, Tubi, which is getting more and more attention. I keep hearing more and more about Tubi. I, I didn't know much about it. Until, so we had, we had a sales agent who brought it to Tubi and Tubi is like the biggest 
AVOD platform in America. So AVOD is the opposite of SVOD, which is Netflix and Amazon and like where you pay money to subscribe. You subscribe for video on demand. Yeah. AVOD is advertising, on, uh, advertising video on demand, meaning that like yeah. it's free initially, but you have to watch ads like TV used to be. Hulu kind of has that as well now as well. I know, okay, options. okay, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's, it, it's, it, that's what it is. So basically, you can ostensibly watch all these great movies and TV shows for free, but you're going to watch ads. And by watching those ads, you're paying the people who made the thing. Of course. So that's, now, yeah. is there an option for Tubi where you can watch it ad free? Is there like a premium? Don't believe membership? so. No. no, no, I don't believe so. Um, now, when you were, so I'm curious about this. When you, after you did it and you put it in the can, and then you just go and you just have the pitch meetings and you go around and go, here's my thing and you show it to them or how, how does that look? How, once you have it all done and you're exhausted and now you have to like tell corporations yeah. well, when well, you're attacking corporations, <laughs> Hey, buy my yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, like on day one, I said to him, I was like, I can make, I will make it good. Like my, that's what I do. I can make you a good thing. I cannot make it successful. I don't know. I'm not a salesperson. I'm not a marketing person. And so initially it was supposed to be for YouTube only. He, he, he was very adamant, like this is YouTube only. So they were designed to be 13 to 15 minutes long, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And then midway through, he saw like, it was, this is really good. And we had all these kind of stars in it. Like, I want to maybe try to sell it. You, you go sell it. I'm like, okay, again, <laughs> that's not what I do. I'm a filmmaker. I'm not a film seller, but I, I, can, I can try. And so I did the best I could to try. And finally, we, I, I connected him to a sales agent who was all about it. But it was like... Yeah, like that part, like it's hard for me to describe that, but it's like, I, I will always make it good. I, you know, yeah. the marketing and all that stuff is way beyond, like social media is also like a mind fuck for me. I'm, I'm all 45, I'm old, like I just don't get it. And so, yeah, uh, I'll uh, let Rob. 45 yeah. and I'll fuck you. Go ahead, Rob. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, no, how, how old are you, Bill Dons? How old are you? We're around the same. So, you know, that's all I'm going to say. Five. High five. High five. High five. All right. I'm, I'm timeless, so I don't really know. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I think the other thing is that this was a, this is a bit of a unicorn of a show because it's not a half hour. It's not with one host. As we said, people are used to that. We showed it to like a few friends and they were like, like, I don't know, because people are used to one host. I'm like, that's the point. Like, people are used to it. But at the same time, uh, when you try to bring something new and a little bit odd, it doesn't quite fit the, the parameters. It's a little bit of a, it's a bit of a stretch for people to figure out how to, to market it. So that was, it was a challenge to really find like, the right home that would appreciate it for it. Yeah. And you could also do it on YouTube as well as Tubi. I'm sure you can just post them on YouTube and see if what happens as well. Or is it proprietary? Well, you can't even release it anywhere no, else. No, no, no. Like it's, 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 it's not exclusive, but like he makes money on Tubi and YouTube. There's no, like YouTube is a, a diff. like he, he wants to make his money back, which he will, because I talked to the sales, we talked to the sales agent about it. Like it's lucrative, I guess, but yeah. like YouTube is not like YouTube. You have to have, it's another whole animal. Yeah, I and like, I, 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 and, and I think that's why he kind of, he changed his mind about the YouTube thing was that like, it wasn't as slam dunk and, uh, you know, as in his mind as it could have, you know, like as he thought it was, I guess. Well, the cool thing about it is there's a lot of these programs like Quibi being one of them that they, they keep looking for their flag flagship show. That's going to catch fire. You know what I mean? And Quibi is like trying to ram die heart, die heart down everyone's throat with a chimney sweeps brush and make it seem like you got to watch it. But, it's not really picking up. So a lot of these platforms are really interested in making a show that will be their banner show for, you know, I guess for, for Tubi to be their political comedy show. So on that level, I mean, are they doing things to, to help you? Do I have to like get someone to break some kneecaps? What's going on? Break kneecaps because I, I, I don't, I mean, again, I'm in Ireland, so I, I don't know, but I, I think I always break kneecaps. So to, to make <laughs> the shit I work on successful. Yeah, please do. Uh, I think Tubi is, is really new, honestly. And it's just really kind of, kind of come into its own, like almost even this past year. So I'm not sure that they're mature enough a company to be like, to have a, like a full fledged marketing arm as such. But I think they have a lot of brand awareness. Like everyone seems to know about them and where to find them. It's just people haven't really checked it out yet. So I think we're kind of in an early stage for that. We're not like where Netflix was with House of Cards sure. or something like that, where they're like going all out. But I think that as they move into that thing, we'll, we'll be part of that, you know, part of that. Now, do you have, by the way, I don't know if you can hear the helicopter. Apparently they're Get looking over. for, they're looking for Britney Spears. It, it's right over my apartment. Wait, so, um, are, are, are you Britney Spears having a, having a thing? You, are you guys entangled? That's amazing, Bill. Oh, congratulations. Mazel tov. Um, so is there a season two sort of lined up or how, how is that looking? Do you have plans for that? 
Are you, it, would ideas, but it, would, it would, you know, it would have to be that this would prove itself and make enough money and uh, Kieran yeah. or someone else would, would take notice of it and uh, want to buy it and, you know, finance it. Uh, we, ha we have a bunch of episodes and topics lined up that we were considering, but, you know, we just have to have a producer. Yeah, got it. So were there, were there, I was going to ask that as follow-up, were there things that you want to do, episodes you want to do for the first season that you were like, oh man, we got to get this in and maybe it was too edgy or it wasn't yeah. cooked enough or you kind of, I mean, that must have been a huge debate when you're dealing with these topics. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, the opposite. I think we wanted to really put the edgy stuff out there in front, so that it would cause it to get attention. I, I, I want. I, I mean, I, I I teach every once in a while in in universities, and in like the whole adjunct professor thing. I wanted to tackle that, but I kept getting shot down. But there's there's certain things that are very personal to you that like, fuck, because it's it's honestly like a pet peeve thing. Like these people are fucking me. I want to talk about that, and it's like no, no, of that's, course that's not. Yeah, what's yeah. the what's the professor thing? So like I I for. 15 years, I've been an adjunct professor off and on between projects. I've taught at Yale and U at CSUN, School of Visual Arts. And unless you're tenured, which is like 20% of, of, of a university's uh, uh, faculty, you're an adjunct. And as an adjunct, you're making basically pennies. Like th they are paying you nothing. Mm. And you, but you're the product of the university. And so it's like, so I, I, have, so, so I have colleagues, uh, you know, who were massive writers on big sitcoms, but are, like have to go to six different universities, you know, in a week in Los Angeles in order just to actually make a living wage. Yes. I remember at Yale, there, there were like, there were adjunct professors who were doing a hunger strike on the fucking, can on Yale, in front of the president's office. Like that's how fucking terrible it is. The amount of money they pay the people that they're charging the students to go actually get information from. Yeah. It's, it was kind of, uh, it made me angry. No, that's it. My brother's a professor. Well, and I find that interesting because my, my favorite acting teacher I went to Princeton, right? And my favorite acting teacher. Um, so Rob. So Rob. You went know, to Princeton? As soon as he said yeah, got a little bit of a wince. I don't know if you did too. Should we do, should we do uh, old Nassau? Should we do a tiger, uh, tiger, tiger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but my favorite uh, acting teacher there, um, he couldn't get tenured, you know, and I know it was a big thing because he was basically like, I don't know if I can take the trek every day to take class because of the money. And I, I know that's the thing that's been going on mostly with, with the arts. Right with yeah, so and obviously in your position they don't do that. Do that. Look at people who are teaching what you teach as tenure worthy. Is that how that? No, no, it's, it's not bad at all. It's, it's it's like I think maybe fifteen twenty years ago they decided like like any other corporate sort of thing, we can not pay eighty percent of our, our our faculty living wages. Don't give them health insurance. They're just basically contract workers that pay them fucking shit. We'll take 20% of them, like the most senior or whatever, and, and give them an actual living wage. And that's all over. It's, it's not just America because I'm teaching here now and it's the same thing. It's just basically the, the corporatization, the sort of uh, capitalist sort of taking over university education. Used to be being a professor was a, a, a very worthy, noble you know, middle-class job where you get paid for it. And it's, it's not that way anymore. And it's, it's infuriating because it's like these schools charge a lot of money. Like when I taught at school of visual arts, they're charging $30,000 a semester to these foreign students to come in and they're learning from me. And they're like, they're, 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 harp, they're harping on my credits and what I'm doing. And it's like, but you're not paying anybody. You're just paying the administrators yourselves. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it, it really is maddening to me, but I'm going to stop. Well, I, I can tell you, it's mad at you because you took your jacket off. Yeah, I got, I, I got angry. Yeah, I got angry. I got really angry. His tweed jacket. I'm putting it back in. I'm going to put it back on because now I'm. No, no, angry. come on. Let's get you angry no. again. No, no, no. Well, the, the, you try. You try. It's going back on. This is like your Hulk thing, right? Taking yeah, the jacket off and you're hulking out. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Um, so, Rob, Princeton. Wow. That's awesome. Do you ever go back? We should just get really in the weeds here and just like lose everybody else in the audience. <laughs> Are you guys the same age? Like, are you guys both really old? Because you seem really old to I me. Like, you guys in the so you were. Oh wow! When were you there, Bill? Um, not the, a little, a little, a little younger, but not much. Ninety. I'm not going to say. Just as LA. Come on. Hey, I just okay. did, man. All right, but I'm not. <laughs> Doesn't count. You're a writer. Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> so uh, okay, a couple questions. First of all. You said that we were about to, we, me and you were going to have sex in the episode if I did it. Is that what was going yeah. on? <laughs> yeah, so, something like that. No, but I, I, I want to actually like take away from the, our sex is, is our thing and it's a very individual <laughs> thing. I want to talk about America because I do believe, I've, so I've had a lot of conversations in the last, 
a month or two people wanting to get out yeah no people who want to get get out of america so like my my uh, uh yeah i know people have selling their houses and but i honestly think that um come november to january it's gonna be really really massive there i honestly truly believe that no matter who wins or loses it's gonna be civil unrest so yeah. get the fuck out, Bill. Get the fuck out. So you out really now. think there's going to be a civil war, a civil war in America? Because I've been hearing that a lot. Yeah, I actually, I don't know if it's a war, a but a medium who's like in November, there's going to be a civil war. I don't know if it's a war, but like there's going to be rioting. No matter who wins or loses, there's going to be like what you saw with Black Lives Matter is going to be times ten with like whether he loses or wins. Like if he wins, then the left's going to lose their fucking mind as they should because he shouldn't win. If he loses, it's I didn't. I, I'm he's aggrieved and like he calls his followers and they they take their weapons and they you know like liberate Arkansas and they go to the fucking courthouse with their guns. It's going to be a mess. It's going to be a mess. You really, th- Rob? You think that's going to happen? I don't know. There could be a lot of like protests and counter protest stuff that like what's happening in Portland right now. I think a lot of like clashes of different groups. Uh, it's hard to know. On the other hand, like you know, people are used to playing a certain role and we sort of switch off. Uh, maybe I'm just being more optimistic. Like. Uh, people will want to switch off. If, if, if he loses, the people who support him will, will enjoy being the aggrieved minority and yelling and, and stuff online and on the cable shows. I mean, Fox News will do great business from like the anger, like they did during Obama. So I don't know if, if people will be tired of politics enough at that point where they'll be like, all right, I've been into this now. I'm just going to switch to my new position, which is angry minority, so to speak. It's none of the minorities. But. Yeah. Do you feel now, Rob, you've been a comedy writer for, and I know you've been a comedy writer for a while, Jonathan, and Rob, you as well. I imagine before The Daily Show, you were writing comedy as well. Um, that, but actually interesting, my, my, my first job was on Dennis Miller Live and, uh, ah. Miller was on the, his HBO show. You'll have to know where he wasn't, he used to not be right wing. Hey, oh, I know. I know stop, stop. I have to ask what happened to that guy? Cause he was, well, I, I was, used to actually I, think he was awesome. I thought he was, I was like, during, no, I, I, I memorized his off white album. Like when I was, you know, in high school, I mean, he was like an idol and he was very like, and his show, which won a bunch of Emmys in HBO, uh, even before I joined it, um, was very, it was pretty even handed. It was kind of like taking shots at everybody. And then what happened was basically the 2000 election in which like people kind of had this force forces choose a team as it were. And he kind of like slipped into the category of what they call California Republicans. And it was like, he was sort of fine with gay marriage and wasn't, he was pro-choice, but he wanted to want high taxes. Uh, he wanted stronger military stuff like that. Basically taxes, honestly. Uh, more, fewer taxes, less regulations. Um, that kind of Arnold Schwarzenegger position. Um, that's where he went after 2000. And um, so the show would actually, unlike most uh, late night shows, the show would take from January to August. So I started in like January um, of 1999 and then, um, sorry, 2000. And then in, uh, in August, and that was my first year. And then when we came back the next January, when it was 2001, it was after the election. And in the first season, we've been taking hot shots of both candidates, uh, Gore and Bush. We couldn't take, we couldn't make jokes about Bush on a political satire show or like anything with any kind of bite because that was his guy. And then the next season, the next fall when we were off was 9-11. So then he like got, in, he got kind of spooked out. Like, you know, a lot of Americans kind of went into that position and not all of them stayed there, but he did like got really like scared about like the threats in the world and wanted to have a really hawkish position on foreign policy. And he went into that camp as well. And I think what happens also with like, with pundits and with everyone, you sort of fall, you fall in with a community of people who want you to, to represent a certain position and that's where the money is. And those are sort of your fellow travelers. So he kind of like slid into that sort of Fox News commentary thing. And um, I don't know where he, is, where he is right now with all this stuff because things are kind of up in the air. But it was sort of these shifts, I think, that happened uh, on the economic front and then, you know, on the foreign policy front. Yeah. Um, and- it really changed him. And, you know, the show didn't really have a lot of vitality after that, honestly, because he was... Um, he was kind of on the side of the people in charge and uh, we're fine with yeah. what they're doing. And it's hard to do satire that way. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that, now to answer your question, Jonathan, and I don't know if you can back me up with this, Rob, in terms of what's happening in America, and, you know, I just did a, a joke on the Chocolate Sunday show, their Zoom show, and I was like, my dad's a Trump supporter, my brother's a cop, and my mom's name is Karen. That's the honky hat trick right there. And um, <laughs> That's a good joke. There's a, there's a text thread between my Trump-loving dad, my cop, ergo, Trump-loving brother, and my liberal arts professor brother, who's probably the most left-wing person I know, uh, a text thread. And we know everyone loves each other. It's all respectful. But they could not be more diametrically opposed in their views. And they're all, and I love them all. They're all great people. 
And I find myself sort of, as much as I, I want to embrace everything in the far left, I find myself sometimes going like, uh, well, I guess my cop brother has a point, you know? And I think that's what's happening is even Republicans, I don't think any sentient human being can look at Trump and go, that guy is not a fucking idiot. Like everyone knows he's an idiot, but they kind of don't care because a lot of the feeling, this is true with a lot of comics too, is that the left is going, they're acting like three-year-old toddlers who just need a nap. You know what I mean? Even if you like, I love you, but you need a fucking nap because shit is getting so crazy and so out of control and there's no way to have a dialogue that's, um, that has any nuance anymore about anything. Like, yeah. if you don't toe the line regarding Black Lives Matter, if you don't toe the line uh, regarding the Democratic policy and Joe Biden and everything else, even Me Too. I mean, look at Kamala Harris said, Joe Biden, I believe all women, and then now she's the, the VP, and he was accused. So it just, you find yourself aligning with the party and you keep seeing the hypocrisy and you keep wanting to deny the hypocrisy and it keeps coming up. And if you really keep your eyes open, it's hard to sort of um, ignore it. And I think that a lot of comics in particular are feeling like, I'm not saying there would be comics when we voted for Trump, but I definitely feel that a lot of, if you're a comic who wants to express themselves and have free speech and do whatever the fuck you want, if you're getting canceled constantly, I think it's pushing a lot of people yeah. to the middle. No, it's, it's, it's been very hard to make, I mean, for, for me as a writer and a director, it's been, I've had projects that have been me too it's, I mean, and it's, it's very difficult. And, and I had a conversation with Scott Thompson, uh, who's on our show and he was going on about like in the eighties, he was like, you know, he was gay and he wasn't like, he was sort of on the outside. And then suddenly, you know, now in, in this current climate, he's just a white guy. He's like, wait, wait a second. I was, I was never cool, but like I was gay and on the outside and you didn't like me, but now I'm like, I'm a white guy. Like what happened to me being gay? Like he's right. Like it's, it's a weird time to do comedy because like, like and, and in fact, I think Rob and I had a conversation about this, and one of the jokes, the the whole, um, uh, 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 you know, the, in the food delivery services about um, why am I drawing a blank here? Uh, basically, yeah, thank you. You know, what I'm talking, Rob, jump in here and help me about the <laughs> a noun or an adjective at least. The sketch, the sketch about the, the African country, and then uh, I had the the, the the bit I wrote, yeah, and and so there's a a bit about a country. He's like, no, but like that, like you're, you're you know, like that you're you're making this place to target. I'm like, well, every joke is a target. Like that's the whole thing with comedy is that they're every joke well, is. Uh, a, it was a bit of what they call punching down. So I felt like we were sort of picking on a tiny African country that was impoverished. But what we did was we liked it so much we did it, and then we like had the the, the, the comedian basically own that like uh -huh, yeah. he rides over Central African Republic. And we sort of acknowledged that we were being cheeky, and that he didn't really deserve it. And so to me, that sort of like you know was an insurance policy, not that we were going to get like retweeted by the Central African Republic. But thank you for yeah. drunk uh, drunk saving me, Rob. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's great. So um, what what what's the next step with this? I mean, we're gonna we're gonna push this podcast and, and, and spread the word and, and get people to see it. So I guess the thing is right now, you just want exposure for this, for this awesome new innovative show. And we have such a crazy world, so many platforms and so many different levels that you have yeah. different ways to, to, to find a way to get it out there. Right. It's a good show. I want, people, I, want, I want people to see it. Like we worked hard on it. It's very funny. It's well written. It's well acted. It's well. It's well. It's well made, and it's a good show. And I want people to see it. And that's it. And it's yeah. it is hard to kind of like sort of pick through all the things you're supposed to watch or not watch. And we don't have a big marketing budget. We're not on HBO Max or Quibi or whatever, whatever fuck it is. But like, it's a good show. It really is. So yeah, I believe everything. You know, John, I've been a big fan of your work ever since Hebrew Hammer. I've been following I want, you. I, I want to hug you and follow yeah, we you. Tried, just, we tried to find something that was really relatable, like with all six topics that really everybody can relate to, like food delivery services, how death and, and the mourning are exploited, like some modern romance. Uh, Plan obsolescence. Yeah, how, how you know uh, companies are making products designed to fail earlier, so you have to buy more of them. That sort of so things that really touch everybody's lives. So, um, you know, on the one hand, we don't really fit into like one of these categories, like one of these tribes, like the partisan shows. On the other hand, we're hoping that people discover us, like, everybody will have something that they can sort of see that actually connects their lives and, and it will be entertaining. Yeah. And I guess it just takes one episode to sort of catch fire. Right. And, and maybe go viral if you get the right person to sort of see it and, and find it yeah. relevant and retweet it. And who do I need to sleep with uh, <laughs> to get well, first off me, obviously bill. <laughs> um, I know I've never been in any of your fucking projects. 
Well, you, I tried I, with <laughs> this one, and you're like, oh, I'm now being arrested for being, for being a sex pest. It's like, well, don't do yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> it's simple. And uh, Bill, Bill uh, by, by the way, Bill, like you are a fucking brilliant comic, and I'm, I'm not fluffing you. Because, like I would, I'm dying to work with you. So we, we're going to do something. I just don't know what the next thing is. But well, during the apocalypse, when I moved to Ireland, yeah. Well, done. yeah, Rob. I mean, come on, we're we're Prince and Lum. You got to hire me too, Rob. God yeah. damn it, Rob. Don't fuck up. Network. We have to like keep up our cred. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Rob. Um, but like honestly, like if, if if you haven't had a chance, I didn't know that you can't go to the Laugh Factory right now. When it reopens, is is it not? Is it complete? Is it shut down, Bill? Is it the Laugh Factory? Yeah, Laugh Factory shut down. They had they had live streaming shows with no audience. Was basically just sort of, you know, imagine John Oliver without any visuals or production value. Right. And you're on a stage and it's full All body. Right. So I'm I'm a com- I'm a comedy star. I'm sure you are. I like I've been doing this a long time. He's really fucking good. So you should go to the Laugh Factory and watch right. him perform. He's really good. Honestly, I will say this: the last time I performed, I was traveling cross country because I was delivering someone's dog to them. And I went by Nashville. And this is about, I guess at this point, about two months ago. And uh, Adam Carolla, speaking of uh, right-wing... Uh, is he really? Is he really? He says he's not, but it's just one of those things, like if you don't align politically left, they push you, they make you a right-wing. It's Got sort it. of what they've been trying to do with Joe Rogan. Like Joe Rogan's definitely not right-wing, but they're like, oh, he's a right-wing pundit. And it's like, no, he's really not. Anyway, um, but... So Adam Carolla, his, they pushed him there. So that's where he lives now. And that's his audience. But I went to, I went to Nashville Zanies and it was packed. No care about social distance masks or anything packed. And uh, I was like, oh, I'll go on stage. And just, I didn't prepare. I was just on the road and I basically got in touch with him. I was like, hey man, can you put me on guest spot? And he put me on and literally I got on stage and just forgot every joke. Like I remembered premises and I was like, holy <laughs> shit. It was like the actor's nightmare. I was like, I forgot what I do with this joke. So I take these long pauses that were getting laughs because they thought it was intentional, but I was literally just like, what do I say next? Wow. You know? So who knows? By the time everything clears up, I'm going to be fucking, it's like flowers for Algernon. I'll be fucking <laughs> mentally handicapped. <laughs> um, anyway, guys, look, thanks for, thanks for coming on. I'm going to um, push the show. I can't wait to see it. I feel like a piece of shit that I haven't seen yet because you sent it to me, I think, a week or, or so ago. No, um, yeah, like you're, you're definitely a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. No, honestly, everyone, everyone who's anybody's seen it, and you're not that person. So <laughs> yeah, yeah cool. soldiers still fighting on after they announced the war was over. Yeah, yeah. But hey, man, good to see you, and nice to meet you, Rob. And uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully we'll we'll get to do a follow up for season Love two, Love and it. you'll be in it, and you'll be in it, Bill Dawes. Or we'll see you this, in Yeah, or or you'll be in a prison in like Saudi Arabia or something. <laughs> I don't know. Two options. Two options. Yeah. You never know. All right, thanks, guys.